0: Welcome back to another episode of the Creekside Podcast. Tune in each week with Drew and James to hear a relevant conversation about a biblical topic. Thanks for joining. Welcome back to another episode of the Creekside Podcast. I'm Drew. And I'm James. Welcome back. Today, guys, we're going to be talking about the church and what it looks like from a biblical standpoint.
1: And uh, I'm actually really excited about this. I think this, is, I think this is a good time to talk about what the church is Um you know, there's the past couple of years we've been living in this crazy uh, pandemic, crazy turmoil, division, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's just a good time to remind ourselves of you know, why it's important to be a part of a church as a Christian, and then because of that, we need to know like what a church is. So I want to, yeah. I want to, we want to spend some time like dissecting what the Bible says about a church, and then look at some of the, you know, the the healthy characteristics of a church this this season. Yeah, definitely, man. Well,
0: let's just dive right into it and get started. Obviously, my first question is,
1: what is a church? It's a great question, and I think that's a, that's a question that's really telling for a lot of people. If you ask, you know, even church members, you can ask 10 of them and say, hey, what is, what is a church? You might get 10 different answers. Um, I would give this definition, and this has been informed by listening to some other people, um, but the church is a group of believers who covenant together to meet together regularly to maintain the preaching of the gospel in the administration of what we call the ordinances or the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. That's the church. It's this group of people gathering together to do those few things specifically. Okay. And so where does Scripture give that
0: definition of... of the church,
1: and that's a really good question because the scripture is not a dictionary. So it's not like we've got a, a dictionary here. You can flip to the back and find the index and see everywhere that it talks about, you know, baptism or talks about sacrifice. But the Bible doesn't work that way. So the Bible never says, "Here's a definition of the church." Rather, it describes the church throughout uh, throughout mm-hmm. the Old and the New Testament. It describes the things that the church is supposed to do. So let me give you a, a good example here in Acts two forty one. I've got this written out. Um, this is after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. It says that all these, all these people, these men of Israel, men of uh, you know, men of of Judah, there, uh, there in Jerusalem, they heard his sermon, and then they were cut to the heart. And then Acts two forty one says this: it says, "So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls." So notice a couple things going on in that verse. That's a pretty short verse, and it's not like our favorite memory verse. You know, that's probably no one's life verse. Mm-hmm. But notice what that verse tells us about the church. First is that to be a part of the church, you have to receive Peter's word. Which What, what is Peter preaching? He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching that Christ died for the sins uh, of, of those who would believe. And so he's preaching this good news. They receive the word. After they receive the word, what happens? They are baptized. They receive that sign of the, uh, of the new covenant. And then they are added... To the number about three thousand souls. That word "added" there is, I think, an important word um, because when you add something to something, you know, you have a you have a new something. But it tells us there are some people who were added to the church, and then there were some people who were not. So if you did not believe, and if you were not baptized, you were not added to the church. And it notes that there were three thousand people that day um, that were added to the church. I mean, I'd love to have been there to see like what what did that look like, you yeah. know, that that whole process. Um, but I think that tells us that. There is a definition for a church. There is an inside of the church and an outside of the church. So either you are a part of the church or you're not a part of the church. And what it means to be a part of the church is to... Again, you see those two marks of the preaching of the word and the ordinances or the sacraments, right? So they believe Peter's preached word... They received the they received baptism, uh, one of the ordinances, mm-hmm. and then they were added to the church. So I think that kind of helpfully ties together that um, yeah. that definition there.
0: Yeah, and I love that because I think too many times we try to find the black and white of the Bible, and uh, a lot of times I believe with the parables and the stories, and then this is how that Jesus describes
1: Yeah. yeah. that's and how we get that's right and it's it is a clear it's not as if the description is kind of fuzzy like the description exactly. is clear exactly. but we just we're used to reading science books and math yeah. books and stuff like googling. i want i like googling stuff <laughs> yeah. you know and the bible's not a it's you don't you don't learn wisdom in the bible by google searches right you yeah. learn it by the holy spirit you know to, speaking to you and by reading and by memorizing and meditating on these themes and patterns so yeah. uh, that's i think that's a helpful way to think about it
0: yeah so my next question would be is there only one church
1: Yes and no. I would say, you know, both of those... <laughs> both of those. Let me give you a very clear answer to your question. Uh, I would say in, there is only one church uh, in, in some respects, and certainly as you drive down any street in the southeast, you'll find, no, there are many oh, yeah. different churches. Uh, theologians have used this category of the visible church and the invisible church to talk about two things, and that might sound kind of kind of crazy, but I think it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. So the visible church... Means those people who identify with the church and primarily in one particular geographical location. So, our church, Creekside Fellowship, would be an expression of the visible church that everyone we see there who is, you know, joined to the church, voluntarily covenanted with the church, is a part of that particular body. But the invisible church, what we might call the church universal, um, includes all people everywhere in all space and time. So, like Dead saints, people who died uh, were mart- The apostles who were martyred for believing in the Lord Jesus. Um, you know the Church Universal. They're a part of the Church, right? right? They're still they still belong to Christ, but they're not part of. We don't see them. They're not part of the visible Church. They're not part right. of what we um, what we understand there. So we can talk about the local Church, the Universal Church, the visible Church, the invisible Church. Um, all people who are saved are part of the. Invisible Church, right? They belong to Christ, and only only the Lord knows, right? Truly, the hearts of those who are truly His. But we try to do the best we can in our expression of the visible Church. Now, as there is always um, in the Old Testament, there's always sin in the nation of Israel. There's always people who look like they belong to Israel, but they're actually far from God. They're not, you know, they're circumcised in the flesh, but not circumcised in the heart. So it is in the local church. There will always be people who. Give off some of the signs of being saved or being regenerate, but they're not actually um, they're not actually part of the invisible church. They're not truly regenerate and truly saved. And so that's a hard difficulty for us to re- wrestle with. And that's not like the ideal, right? We want all people who are part of the church to be saved, but the New Testament gives witness to that, and that's not always the case. So you can still be a part of the visible church, right? You can be you can be a church member. Um, you can be you know you can serve on a committee or whatever it might be but not actually be saved and that's part of the part of the difficult part there um, but then there's this invisible church which is kind of all encompassing so I, I think that's a helpful category for us to think about again that's not the ideal that you be a part of a church and not be um, a Christian but right. we can deceive ourselves sometimes in our hearts, so we just need to yeah. be honest about that reality too yeah especially
0: if you aren't saved and then you are participating in that Lord's Supper at the end you know I think the scripture is very clear right. on not doing that yeah so yeah. yeah and that's
1: one of the you know that's why it's a the church the definition of the church is a group of believers that covenant together to do those things we're not yeah. inviting those who are not a part of Christ's body to come and partake of His his, his body and His blood, you know, to come yeah. and partake of the Lord's Supper, those yeah. kinds of things. so, yeah, so that's, that's a great way to, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, you mentioned all the churches that you passed yeah. in the Southeast, you know, every corner you see a different denomination. Um, so how do you know, even though it says church on the
1: sign, how do you know what is a true church? I think you just Google it, you know? <laughs> no. um, I, think it's, I think it's important to... To note that this is not like a new question for yeah. Christians. You know, we've always had ways to um, discern what is a true church. So going back to 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea, which was like the first um, what they call ecumenical council. They got all of the uh, all of the folks who were. Involved in leadership in the church at that point in time, which was still a pretty unified body, got them all together to talk about, um, you know, some some issues and some controversy that's going on there, particularly with the doctrine of Christ. But at this council, they identified four marks or identifiers of the church, um, and so if you read the Nicene Creed, that they confess they believe in one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. You know that that this this whole idea there's one church, it's a holy church. It's a Catholic church. I'll talk about that, and it's apostolic. So let me just walk through those things. So, the first thing that it says that it's there's one church I means there's only one true church. Like all Christians everywhere, it's not as if we're going to get to heaven and the you know the Pentecostals go over here and you know the the Baptists go over here and the Presbyterians over there. Uh, there's only one church. There's only one body. Uh, Ephesians four says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So the scripture really stresses the oneness, the one nature of the church. Yeah. The second denoter there, the second mark uh, is that the church is holy. What does this mean? Is that the church is you know set apart, uh, that, that, that the church is distinct from the rest of the world. So the church doesn't look like you know every other part of the world. There's a, there's a distinction there. Again, you're, those three thousand souls were added to that number. They are they are no longer a member of the Kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of kingdom of Christ. The third thing is Catholic. This does not mean Roman Catholic, and I think that's uh, I think that's hard sometimes in our culture. People hear Catholic, they immediately think about Roman Catholic. But Catholic is actually um, a a transliteration of a Greek term that means universal or mean like complete. Um, So one holy Catholic it means universal uh, that it's you know that that it's. all-encompassing in that way, and so we confess that the church is not just my church. It's not just like, hey, the, the people that gather here are Christians, and the people at that church down there um, are not Christians, right? We right. we confess there's there's one church if it's a if it's a true church. And the fourth thing is apostolic, and this is where I think the rubber hits the road for this definition. It means that the one true church takes up and bears witness to the teaching of the apostles that they're not making up new things as they go along, but they are receiving. What they've gotten from the from the apostles, which the apostles got their teaching from Christ and from the Word, and they are continuing in that tradition, continuing uh, to preach the same gospel message to, to to bring about the same gospel truths. So I think you think about those four definitions. I think that's helpful. Yeah. There's one church that's holy, it's set apart. Um, it's Catholic in the sense that it's universal, kingdom minded, and it's apostolic, and that it's you know bearing tracing its roots back to the, tr- Christ and to the apostles. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you've got
0: all these different marks, all these things that you're you're calling the true church. You know, um, know, why does all that really matter? I mean, can't we just love Jesus?
1: I think that's a really good question. I think that's a really good-natured question, and I think it's a very clear answer that, um, yes, you can just love Jesus. That is what Christ wants you to do. Mm -hmm. And if you love Jesus, you should love his body. And the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. Right. Um, so, for someone to say, "Yes, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church," I just wanna, I just wanna ask: Have you read the New Testament? I mean, have you, have you read the letters of uh, of the New Testament? Have you read what Jesus says um, about the church and how the church is to be characterized by, by love for one another? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just thinking about the, those one another commands, who who is the one another Jesus is speaking to there? You know, is it just the random person on the street? Um, is it just the person who's in need of help, or is it? Does he have a particular person in mind? Is he talking about a particular group of people? Um, Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five, "This is how all people will know you are my disciples: if you show love for one another." Who's he speaking to there? He's speaking of his disciples. There's a mutual commitment there. So uh, even the New Testament says that if uh, if you don't love your brother, that you don't love christ so yes you can love jesus and one of the expressions of loving jesus is loving his church and and knowing the distinctions and knowing the 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 differences between what is a what's a false church and what's a what's a true church what a church is actually supposed to be uh to to go on further in this you know um a lot of churches throughout history have confessed those those four marks of a church Mm -hmm. and then you kind of look at the church and you're like but it doesn't seem like that really makes that really makes sense. You see this in the 16th century with the Roman Catholic Church, right? Kind of got off track with some things. Um, you know, it was it was really more this hierarchical structure, and it needed reform. You know, everybody would right. say, even Catholics today would say, yeah. In the 16th century, we needed we needed reform. Well, the, the Protestant Reformation comes along, um, Martin Luther, you know, and, and his gang, uh, de- determining that we need to we need to. Restart. We need to re- refigure out or, or renew what the church, what the church was. Get back to the early church that the apostles. Um, the, the cry of going back to the sources. You know, reading the early church fathers, those kinds of things. So in the in the midst of that, uh, some of the reformers came out with this this idea that the marks of a true church. Yeah, we can go with the four. You know, uh, holy, one, holy, catholic, apostolic church. But in addition to that, they they boiled it down to these two two marks that a a proper church has the true preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the ordinances or the sacraments. So um, just just think about that. If you want to know if a church is a true church first, what do they believe is the gospel? What do they believe is the gospel truth? Uh, do Do they preach that... Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. Do they preach um, that you know, that Jesus is the only way, uh, that, that he's, he's the Savior of the world? And then what about their administration of, their, of the sacraments? And, and particularly in the 16th century context, the sacraments uh, conferred grace upon people. So for you to be saved, you need to go and take communion. You need to drink the cup and eat the bread. Um, but that's not actually not what the Scripture teaches. We're te- the Scripture teaches we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. So the right. the right administration of the sacraments then has to do with not putting baptism and the Lord's Supper on the same plane as believing the gospel. Uh, they they serve the preaching of the gospel. and they're, So you can be baptized and not believe the gospel. You can take the Lord's Supper and not believe the gospel, and you can be lost. You know? Rather, what a true church, you know, I think the, the 16th century tells us, the true church will preach the gospel and will rightly administer the sacraments. And so if it's if you've got those two things in your church, you've got a true church. You know, you don't have to wonder. Um, you don't have to wonder about those kinds of things. And I think that's, that's really helpful. What does the Bible drill down on? Um, it's not a lot of the frills that we often think of when we yeah. think of the church. It's, it's some very simple core truths, some core things. It's preaching of the gospel, believing in the gospel, and it's preserving the gospel through those through those sacraments, through those ordinances. Yeah,
0: And I'll say as a worship leader at Creekside, you know, we we worship through so many different ways than right. just music, you know, uh, And I think that some people, when they look at church, they want a certain type of music. They want a certain type of message. They yeah. want a certain type of uh, And so what what does
1: that? How does that look? Yeah, yeah, so like, I need to go I need to go see a mechanic. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got some questions on some sounds that I'm hearing in my truck when I'm driving. I need to go see a mechanic. When I go to the mechanic, I'm not really concerned about like how like what he looks like. I'm not really concerned about like really how, even how nice he, I want a good customer, you know, uh, service, but I'm not really concerned about how nice he is. Mm-hmm. I'm not really concerned about like how clean he is. Uh, I'm not really concerned about his hobbies or anything like that. I'm concerned about, does this mechanic know how to fix my truck? Does he know what's wrong with it? Is he competent enough to, to fix it? Have the knowledge and have the skills to be able to do it. So whenever we come to the church, um, we don't, we look, we look at churches in a different way than we look at mechanics, yeah. you know? And again, they're, they're different things. The analogy is not perfect. But I think we've, we've missed the mark here because we've expected churches to do things that the Bible hasn't actually even commanded them or expected them to do. So it's wonderful to have a beautiful facility. Uh, but you can have a beautiful facility and have someone preach a false gospel that doesn't save anyone. It's wonderful to have a, a, a thriving children's ministry, but again, you could have a huge children's ministry that's lots of fun, and you know, there's lots of there's lots of kids coming and all that kinds of stuff. But if the gospel's not being preached, if the word's not being taught, you know what, what's actually going on? Th- those kinds of things. So some of the things are that we might put a higher priority on, like you said, James, like music. You know, yeah. that hey, I'm going to choose my church based upon what music they mm-hmm. sing. And music is certainly related to gospel preaching, but I would rather you choose a church based on what gospel is being preached. What you know, what the practice of the the membership of that church is in baptism and the Lord's supper. Those things actually, if you read the Bible, they're a much higher priority than some of these other things. Now, we're commanded to sing. You know, we're yeah. commanded to teach our children. We're commanded to do those things in exactly. Scripture. So, any church that's doing um, the the preaching the gospel and the right administration of the ordinances should also be doing those things. But that's actually not the priority. You know, much more important is you know the the, the regular preaching of the gospel, the regular care of the the members who are a part of that church, um, and the furtherance of this gospel ministry through the ordinances. That's awesome.
0: So, the gospel uh, being one of the two things that are is just obviously something that we need to be looking at. What what was the others? What?
1: Yeah, so I I think I just think about it two sides of the same coin. Okay, you got gospel on one side, you got the ordinances or the sacraments on on the other side. I don't have a problem with the word sacraments. Um, Some people do. You say sacraments and they get real, you know, uh, particular about that. I guess I could say Um, I, I, you know, I have no problem with that if you know what it means. Uh, But sometimes in the Baptist tradition, because we Baptists like to be different, uh, we use the term ordinances. So, gospel ordinances. The gospel is the message about Christ. You know, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture and was raised on the third day. He was perfectly God, perfectly man, um, in in every way like us yet without sin. You know, that's what the Scripture teaches. He was the God-man. He died for our sins, and we can be saved not by working, not by achieving, but by, by grace through faith by believing in Him. That's the gospel message. If you believe that, if that's being preached at your church, you know, praise God. Praise God for that. That's a really big. That's you know, that's a huge, that huge marker of the truthfulness of that church. The other side of the coin um, can can't be really separated from the gospel, but it can be distinguished. Maybe I think is a helpful way to look at that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. What you know, what the New Testament teaches. Two things Jesus commanded us to do: um, to baptize those who believe in Jesus, and to administer the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus says in, in the Book of Luke to do this meal in remembrance of of, of him, of his sacrifice. Those two things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, protect this message. So the gospel informs what we do in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, um, and baptism and Lord's Supper protect the gospel. So just, for, just for example, here at Creekside, we've got a baptism on Sunday. Um, and then we've got a, um, a, we, we, observe the Lord's Supper weekly. And so doing those two things, um, When I'm going to baptize the person I'm going to baptize on Sunday, uh, I'm going to ask her if she professes that Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior, Mm -hmm. and she's going to publicly affirm yes. Because of that profession, I'm going to baptize her into the you know into the communion of the church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, What you see in Acts chapter two, right? That same idea there. So this young lady who I'm going to baptize um, is is we're protecting the gospel by making sure, by by making sure that she believes it, that she understands it, that she's professed it, that she's living uh, in accordance with it to to some measure, to some degree. And I think that's an important part of mm-hmm. of, you know, we're just not running people through the baptistry. If you've ever seen the movie Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, yeah. I think that, that's my favorite illustration, you know, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he runs out there, he's this terrible criminal, and uh, he goes underneath the water and then he comes up and he <laughs> said, Come on in boys, the water's fine, you know, <laughs> I'm free of all my sins. And right. I want I one part of me wants to say, yes, that's right. You know those people who are baptized are free from all their sins, but you, Bubba, you, you got it wrong. You know right. you you haven't you haven't confessed, you haven't repented, you haven't believed, and that you know that can kind of trivial, trivialize the act of the act of baptism. But truly, it is a, a beautiful picture of protecting this gospel message. Then the Lord's Supper. Um, I think about the um, you know baptism is like. Putting on the jersey, you know, so to speak. Uh, hey, you're you're identified with Jesus. Um, the the Lord's Supper is like showing up to practice or like showing up to the game. You know, hey, this is this is a reaffirmation of the commitment that uh, that that you've made with with Christ, and it's a reaffirmation and reminder of Christ's presence with you in your life by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that you, every week when we do the Lord's Supper, we preach the gospel that Christ died for sinners, and that you can come to the table. Not because of your righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to you through yeah. faith um, and, and sacrifice. So, I think those two ideas—if you—if you think about these things—you know—a lot of distinctions in many different churches are are because of these two things: because of baptism and because of the Lord's Supper. Because they have different understandings about those two things. And what I want to say is, don't don't ever separate them from the message of the gospel, mm-hmm. and understand that they're two sides of the same coin. And if your church is using them appropriately, they should protect that gospel message and and yield you know more proclamation of the gospel message. Anytime we baptize someone, I pray the gospel is being preached, the word is being preached. Anytime we take communion, um, I pray that the, the word is being being preached, the gospel being proclaimed. That it's not just about receiving the bread and right. the juice or the wine, but that it's about remembering and 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 bearing witness to what Christ has done and taking comfort. And that our names are written in the book of life. So that's that's some of the things. Now, you know, we could talk about all kinds of things that a church does, but if you're gonna cut down to the core of what a church is, like what does it take for something to be a church, I'm gonna look for those two things: the right preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the sacraments. That's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Drew, for just taking the time again to to dig down into this for us. We're gonna continue to look at the church together. Uh, in a biblical
1: perspective, we're going to see um, exactly all season, right? All season. All season. We're going to. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's the season for looking at the church. So, and I think this is helpful because you can't understand what a church is supposed to do mm-hmm. unless you understand actually what a church is. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's the the being of the church reflects the doing of the church. Yeah. You know. So that's a, I think that's a really important thing. I think we're going to talk about that in a coming. Yeah, coming episode. And
0: I think there's a lot of questions when it comes to the church. And so if you've got somebody that may be questioning their church or or questioning, just maybe they fell out of church and because of a bad experience, this is a great, um, a great season to send them and say, hey, look, here's a. This is they're diving into the biblical.
1: Yeah, and if you have questions, you can email us. You can comment. You can you know all those kinds of things. Yeah, Um, you can find all this on our website at CreeksideFellowshipTN.org. Apparently there's a lot of churches named Creekside Fellowship, but there's only one in Tennessee. So Creekside okay. creeksidefellowshiptn.org. That's awesome. We'll see you next time right here on the Creekside Podcast.